Today, we are starting a new sermon series. So just just for the next three weeks during January, we're going to go back over some passages that I've covered previously. Now, why would I want to do this? Well, I guess it's possible that um, you haven't memorised every single thing that it's been talked about from up the front over the last 10 years. Um, but okay, the theme for these next few weeks is every tribe and nation, we want to be learning from the New Testament church's inclusion of Jews and Gentiles as one body. Um, one of the things I love about our suburb reservoir and I love as I look around our church is how we are multicultural, multi-ethnic. Um, COVID has been a, a, a rough time. Um, before COVID, there were something like 100,000 people moving into Melbourne every year. And actually, in that year, in the middle of COVID, Melbourne shrunk by 60,000 people, uh, shrunk for the first time in a long time. And our, our church um, shrunk in some ways as well. But my sense is that in the last few months, I've been noticing little signs that Melbourne is coming back and people are coming back to Melbourne. I just noticed in, uh, at the end of last year, um, English class and playgroup, for most of the year, they were pretty small. Um, but just in November and December, suddenly there were people who just landed from overseas and were looking to make connections. And so I'm expecting that in 2023, there's going to be new people moving into Reservoir. Um, I'm expecting that there's going to be new people turning up at church. And so in this series, I want to remind us of hopefully things that we already know. But I want us to look at some of what the Bible teaches about people from different backgrounds coming together because of something we have in common in Christ. So let's read God's word. Reuben is going to read to us, and the first reading is going to be from Acts chapter 11. Uh, We have two readings this morning. The first one is from Acts chapter 11, verses uh, 1 to 18. It's found on page 1567 and 1568 in the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 11, beginning to read from verse 1. Peter explains his actions. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being uh, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. Verse 6. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord has said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, the second reading is Acts chapter 15, verse 5 to 20. It's on page 500 and, uh, 1574 and 1575. The Council at Jerusalem. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles must he might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have ever been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the rest of the mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Here ends the reading. Praise be to God. Well, please keep your Bibles open at that uh, passage, Acts chapter 15. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we stop now to reflect on your word, uh, please 
give us eyes to see who you are. Uh, Please give us wisdom to see what it means to respond to you with faith and obedience in our lives. Uh, Please equip us to love and serve one another. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's a question. Is it better to belong to a church where everyone is like me or is there value in belonging to a church with a mix of cultures and backgrounds and ages and levels of education? Um, If you look around Melbourne, I think you'll find that There's Christians who give different answers to this question. Uh, One reason that that, uh, this has been a topic of discussion over the last 50 years is because of a movement called the church growth movement, which has made a huge impact on churches in Melbourne. Um, Church growth movement has the best of intentions. It's motivated by a desire to see more people brought into churches and saved. And I'm all in favour of that. Now, the guy who is sometimes called the father of the church growth movement is, well, he was a missionary to India named Don McGavran. And one of the things that he observed as he looked at the mission work that was happening in India is he noticed that people preferred to become Christians without crossing racial, linguistic and class barriers. And so that observation, he wrote about it and, and, and was transported to Australia and people started thinking, all right, well, what if, what if we say, let's, let's say we start up a church for, for Sri Lankans who can reach out to other Sri Lankans? Or what if we start another church made up of young inner city artists who can reach out to other young inner city artists? Or what if we had a church of factory workers reaching out to other factory workers? And so, okay, is it better to belong to a church where everyone's like me? Or is there value in belonging to a church where there are a mix of cultures and backgrounds and ages and levels of education? Well, let's turn to the Bible and see how the book of Acts describes for us the church under the leadership of the apostles. Our focus this morning is Acts chapter 15 and this meeting that happens between the apostles, this meeting that we sometimes call the Jerusalem Council. And what I'm going to do this morning is, first of all, I just want to remind you of the background, the story that leads up to this. And then I'm going to remind you of one principle which guides the apostles in their decision-making. And then I want to show you three practical implications of that principle. And I'm expecting that there will be a whole lot of unanswered questions today. A few, yeah, but, but what about this? But what about? Which is why we're going to come back next week and we're going to look at a different passage which deals with the same issue from a different angle. Um, So let me try and give you the background to this. Let me try and do it in one minute. The church began when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to his followers in Jerusalem. 
Uh, Jerusalem was a Jewish city. And so at first, the church was made up pretty much entirely of Jewish people. However, as you read the story, persecution comes and the church is scattered. And so Christianity begins to spread outside of Jerusalem. Uh, By the end of chapter 11, the focus moves to this multicultural city called Antioch. And in Antioch, the church also becomes multicultural. Both Jews and Greeks turn to the Lord. Two of the pastors of this church, Barnabas and Paul, they go off on a missionary journey, they establish new churches, and the new churches follow the pattern of the church in Antioch. Which brings us to chapter 15, where there's a a little bit of pushback from the mother church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. They're saying, hey, it's all very well to have all these new people and these different nationalities in the church, but as long as they do things Properly, And by properly, we mean following the laws of the Old Testament, just like us. And so verse 6, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Okay, so that's the background. That's how we got here. Now let me draw your attention to a principle, a theological principle, which is guiding the apostles as they meet. And the principle is, God chooses who he wants in his church. Peter's the first one in this passage to say it. In verse 7, so this is Acts chapter 15, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, and and here he's he's talking about what we read in the first Bible reading, where he he went to the house of a guy called Cornelius. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So do you see that? God made a choice. When someone turns up at our church, it's because God chose to bring them here. Reading on to verse 9, he, that's God, did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And actually, this is where pretty quickly the discussion moves to the heart of the gospel. He purified their hearts by faith. So to really understand what what this means, I guess you've got to realise that this is a bunch of Jewish people talking about being purified. And when Jewish people are talking about being purified, they're picking up the language of the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Uh, The book of Leviticus was written uh, during the time in the Old Testament when God's people were living in tents in the desert. 
Uh, Remember at that time there was a tent in the middle of the camp where people could come to meet with God. But there were... There were certain rules about entry into the presence of God. Only people or things that had been purified could enter in. And so what that meant in practice is that in Old Testament times, let's say you were a foreigner, let's say you weren't Jewish. Okay, it was, it was technically possible for you to draw near to God in his tent It's just that in order to do that, you had to jump through a whole lot of hoops, starting off by by being circumcised, and and then basically you had to become Jewish. In the Old Testament, religious conversion also included cultural conversion. But here, Peter's recognising, hang on a minute, God has accepted these people into his presence His Holy Spirit is in them. They haven't jumped through any of the hoops. He's accepted them just through faith in Jesus. That's why the gospel is good news. Because when you trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus. All of the benefits of his death and his resurrection in that moment are applied to you. You don't have to jump through hoops to prove yourself. In that moment, the moment that you believe, that you put your trust in him, God says, I I declare that your sins are paid for, you are washed clean. And you have access to the presence of God. Is there anyone here this morning who, who wants that? But maybe you haven't been washed clean by the Spirit of Jesus. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago who told me, he told me his story of how like 30-something years ago he, he turned up at church one day. He wasn't quite sure why he was, why he was there. He'd been living, a, a, you could say, an interesting lifestyle. Um, on the day that he turned up at church, he had two different kinds of illegal drugs in his possession, one in each pocket. And there was this point in the service where, where the pastor, apparently this was a Presbyterian church, and, and the pastor was a, an old Scottish guy, and, and the pastor said, is there anyone here who isn't saved? And, and he, he put his hand up. And the pastor said, son, come up here. <laughs> and, and up the front he said, son, have you ever sinned? Uh, and the guy said, Come to think of it, yes. And right there on the spot, the pastor explained the good news about Jesus. And in that moment, this man put his trust in Jesus 30-something years ago and the direction of his life changed. So if you're here today, have you had your sins washed away? Have you begun a new life walking with Jesus? If you haven't, come to him. Believe, trust that his death and resurrection is enough to purify your heart, to wash away your sins, to make you acceptable to him. If that's you this morning, I won't insist that you come up the front. 
Come and find me afterwards. We can chat about this privately. Okay, so where were we up to in the story? Peter says, it's God who chooses who he wants to belong to his people. And the evidence of God's choice is faith in Jesus. And other speakers in the meeting back up what Peter has to say. So you look at verse 12, Paul and Barnabas are emphasising, hey guys, look what God has been doing among all these nations. And in verse 14, James starts to wrap things up and he picks up on, well guys, we've seen how God intervened. God stepped in to choose a people for his name. Uh, There's that saying, you can choose your friends, but not your family. And I think in the same way, you, you and I don't get to choose who will belong to the church. God does. When we think about things like church membership, um, our practice is to recognise as a member anyone who's prepared to tell us that, yes, I have faith in Jesus. Sometimes we're a bit slow about organising that, but the basis of, of it is that if you believe in Christ, then you belong to his body. What the apostles are working at here is that our acceptance of other people should reflect God's acceptance of other people. I mean, we're called to love everybody, but we're called to a special brotherly love. That's how the New Testament puts it, a brotherly love toward whoever belongs to Christ. And so some of your Christian brothers and sisters might be your kind of people. They might be people from from your ethnic group or your social group. Um, In fact, God often works through these natural human networks to, to bring his gospel to people and to bring people to Christ. But the reality is you also have many Christian brothers and sisters who are not the kind of people that you would just naturally go and talk to. And so if God calls us to love in a way that reflects his love, and if his love doesn't discriminate according to ethnic boundaries, social boundaries, then shouldn't we do likewise? In this chapter, we see at least three implications, three practical ways that we can love like this in practice. And number one is this. Be willing to remove obstacles for those who God brings. In verse 10, Peter says to the Pharisees, hey, guys, if if you're expecting these Gentile believers to go and get circumcised, you are, what does he say? You are testing God. I mean, imagine, imagine that back then they made it a rule that anyone who becomes a Christian has to be circumcised. Um, word, word would get around, hey, hey if, if you want to join that group, you've got to, um, you know. <laughs> but wouldn't it, wouldn't it put 
people off wanting to even find out about Jesus? Now, God, God is powerful. God is able to bring whoever he wants to bring. But Peter's saying, guys, are we going to work with him? Or are we going to ask him to work in spite of us? Have a look at what James says in verse 19. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so I think the, the application for us is that as Christians, let's keep on remembering the perspective of the outsider and the newcomer. Let, let's be flexible enough. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we, we, we don't change the word of God. Uh, we don't change what it means to live an obedient life. But there's so many areas where we can be flexible and not make it unnecessarily difficult for people to hear about Jesus or to join the Christian community. Of course, the longer that you've been here, the easier it is to just forget what it's like to be new. I know it's so helpful for me every time I go away on holidays and we visit another church for the first time, I get to have this experience of just being a little bit Nervous and not always knowing what's going on or what to expect. And it just reminds me of, oh yeah, that's what it's like to be a newcomer. Oh, the, reason, the reason I'm saying this is I don't know who God is going to bring here in the coming year. But let's have this readiness to make people welcome. Not, not that... Not the church on Sunday, so don't misunderstand me, not the church on Sunday is all about the outsider. I remember one time I had a friend share with me how uh, my friend was a bit sad because in their church they stopped doing prayers or Bible readings in their service because it might make the visitors uncomfortable. Now, James's point is, no, 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 we should not make it difficult for people who are doing what? People who are turning to God. Like, surely you can't turn and connect with God unless you're going to talk to him in prayer and listen to his word. So let's, let's not confuse. Okay, we've got the church gathered and we've got the church sent out. And when, when the church is gathered like we are now. We, we are gathered primarily as the people of God to worship God. Now, an, out, an outsider should be welcome. If you're here for the first time, it is so good to have you here today. Uh, we should try and make sure that anyone who comes in off the street can understand as much of what's going on as possible. But, but in the New Testament, when God's people gather as the church the focus is on praising God hearing his word and building one another up uh, if you, you, you read the book of Acts most of the connecting with unbelievers kind of happened out in the marketplace or in someone's home or down by the river or wherever you can find people with open ears that's that's happening when we're functioning as the church sent out. And actually, I think 
when we're functioning as the church sent out, that's when it might make the most sense to focus on a particular social group. So, for example, in our church, I mentioned our play group. Our play group is a very specific outreach where we're reaching out to mums and dads and grandparents of small children. And just the way our play group runs is that if you're not bringing a small child, you're not actually allowed to come. Uh, and that's fine because there's a difference between play group and what we're doing here. When we're, when we're living as the church sent out, we want to meet people in their comfort zone and then bring Jesus. We don't want to make it difficult for them to hear about Jesus and come to know him. That's why it's great that, for example, university campuses, there are groups that especially do mission in a way that's comfortable and inviting for international students. What was it that missionary observed? People prefer to become Christians without crossing racial, linguistic and class barriers. So that's actually just a wise thing to remember when you're out on mission. But once someone has come to Christ and become part of Christ's body, then part of your growth toward maturity in Christ involves taking on a a broader perspective than just the perspective of your group. If you hear the gospel among your own people, what a great place to start. But that's not our final destination. Which brings us to our next implication. Uh, So, remember in verse 19, James has said, okay, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. That would make it too difficult. That That would work against the free offer of the gospel. But then in verse 20, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. See, here's the thing. On the one hand, if, you, if, if they insist on circumcision, it's going to undermine the mission to the Gentiles. But then at the same time, there is a whole lot of stuff that the Gentiles do that if they keep on doing it, it's going to make ongoing ministry to the Jews difficult. I mean, what, what, what Jew living in Jerusalem is going to go anywhere near Christianity if he, if he hears that, oh, well, if you, if you become a Christian, you'll, you'll end up eating food that's been offered to idols. And so there are, there are reasonable things that these new believers, these Gentiles, can learn to adjust in their lifestyle, which will help the Jew and Gentile relationships to thrive. And you know what? I see people making these kinds of small adjustments all the time. Sometimes I get invited to dinner at one of your houses and you'll say to me, look, I made sure that I didn't put in as much chilli as I usually do. Now, my reply is, that's okay, I love chilli, but I appreciate your thoughtfulness. That you were thinking about where I'm coming from. That's what considerate means. It means you consider others. You 
try and think about things from their perspective. I mean, there's so many different ways uh, that, that this works out practically in churches. I mean, you've got, you've got church music styles. We've got this situation where sort of a, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was a massive change in how Aussie culture does music. And, and so there's been you know, plenty of situations in churches where either, either the, the younger generation who have grown up after this musical change or the older generation who grew up before this musical change have just sort of felt like this, this, this music just seems strange. It just doesn't, doesn't move me at all. And so our, our music team tries their best to lead us in a way that doesn't exclude anyone. But, but by being, consider, being considerate to other, others... It means we appreciate that there are, that there, that there is, okay. The the lyrics must be based on the truth, but the tune and the style. There's actually different things that connect with different people. Um, by being considerate, there's so many different ways that we can be considerate. But by being considerate of other groups in the church, we're actually trying to reflect the theological principle that God has chosen each of these brothers and sisters. He has chosen each one to be his treasured possession. And so we want to be a church where there is room for anyone who believes. Here's one last implication that I want to point out. And okay, it doesn't actually come from this chapter. It comes just over the page in Acts chapter 16 verse 3 uh, where... As time goes on, a guy called Timothy wants to join one of the mission teams. Uh, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Yeah. Did, you get, did you hear that? Like, okay, on, on this page, in Acts chapter 15, the apostles have just got together and decided... You don't have to be circumcised. And then on the next page, in Acts chapter 16, Timothy goes and gets circumcised. And he's a grown man. I can imagine that was quite painful. So, why? And the answer, well, it says it's because of the Jews who lived in that area. It's actually going, as he goes out on mission, that's just going to help remove. One more obstacle that could come in the way of people hearing the message. Timothy is willing to step out of his comfort zone because he knows that the mission of Christ is so important. He knows that the gospel of Christ is so good and so life-changing. And so he wants people to hear it without getting distracted by anything else. For Timothy, it's painful, but it's worth it. Friends, I wonder how God's mission might call you out of your comfort zone this year. Whether, whether that's something small, whether that's just that you go and say hi to that person that you feel a bit shy to talk to, or whether it's something kind of 
big that's that really affects your life like i know if you if you took on a, a refugee family and sponsored them in your home god calls us to consider the comfort of others and yet at the same time to be willing to give up our own comfort if it helps others so i started by Posing the question, is it better for me to belong to a church where everyone's like me or is there value in belonging? And okay, it's often more comfortable to just be with your own kind of people. But let's remember that God doesn't only love your kind of people. Let's be a church made up of whoever God brings to faith. Let's let's this year especially remember outsiders and new believers. This year let's learn to be considerate of one another. Let's be willing to step out of our comfort zones if, if it's for the mission of God. Because, friends, when we all get to heaven, there there won't be one level of heaven for young single professionals and another level of heaven for retired tradesmen. What will there be? There will be a great crowd from every nation and tribe and people and language. And we'll all be standing around the throne of Jesus. And actually, we'll still have recognisable ethnic identities. That's never taken away from us. But what matters to us, our focus, our unity, our deepest joy, will be Christ who is in the centre. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great saviour we have. What a free offer we have to be washed clean when we trust in him. Father, please enable us to be clear about Christ and who he is. Please give us the wisdom to remove obstacles. Please give us the the love and the understanding to be considerate. Uh, Please give us the willingness to step out of our comfort zone when you call us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.